The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. Welcome to Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's been an attorney mediator for 26 years, and during that time she's resolved thousands of disputes as a neutral conflict healer. She's a member of the Orange County Superior Court Mediation Panel, and she's been a law professor of negotiations and mediation and presently teaches negotiations right here at UCI. She's the author of Negotiations Breakthroughs and co-author of Stepping Stones to Success and several other books. To listen to previous interviews, see upcoming guests, download podcasts, and learn more, visit www.conflicthealing.com. So, Mari, what's your show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show really is about inner conflict, and we're going to be talking with the author of this wonderful book called Truth Be Told by uh, Lucinda Bassett. And she is also the author of From Panic to Power. And this book is called Truth Be Told, A Memoir of Success, Suicide, and Survival. Let me tell you a little bit about our wonderful guest who's coming to us from L.A. She, uh, Lucinda is the former, she's the founder and former CEO of the Midwest Center for Stress and Anxiety. Lucinda is also a nationally acclaimed motivational speaker and best-selling author of several books, including The Solution, From Panic to Power, and Life Without Limits. And then, of course, I have her new book right here in my hand, Truth Be Told, a memoir of success, suicide, and survival. Her life-changing techniques for conquering anxiety and depression have been shared with a variety of corporations across the country, including AT&T and McDonald's and professional associations uh, such as the AIDS Foundation, as well as many other institutions. And she's appeared on hundreds of radio shows uh, nationwide and television shows, including Oprah, The View, uh, see, uh, Regis, and Robert Schuller's Hour of Power. And she lives in Southern California, and we're so thrilled that she's joining with us today. Thank you, Lucinda, for, for joining us. This is an, um, a very touching book. Thank you. I'm I'm glad you read it, and uh, you know it's very. It was very difficult for me to write, but very cathartic in some ways. So yes, yes. So you let's talk a little bit about what happened to you, and then how you came to write this book. Well, um, I'm someone who's been, you know, uh, some people have heard of me. I've been on the radio and television, as you said. I've been on. Uh, I have one of the most successful infomercial campaigns for 20 years for a product called Attacking Anxiety and Depression. And I host the show, I produce the show, and then I've been on radio, and I've won awards for radio and television on uh, approaching the area and bringing it to the mass media uh, of anxiety and depression and how to to get self-help for that. And so I'm pretty well known for that, and I've been on The View many times, Oprah, as you said, and many other shows, and Cosmopolitan and the Journal of psychology of today, all these things. And and um, the thing is, um, what I didn't expect kind of knew had the potential to happen but didn't really 
expected was my husband, who was my best friend and my business partner, my children's father for 25 years, um, committed suicide. Uh, it will June 7th will be five years, and mm-hmm. I can't believe it's been that long. But um, and for me, I think the reason I wrote the book truly is because. Here I was, Lucinda Bassett. I had the wherewithal and the uh, support system to get him help, and I couldn't because, frankly, you know, the the mental health system that we're struggling with in our country today, today is broken, and people like David, unfortunately, don't get treated properly, or as in his case, were, uh, he was put on the wrong medication, and I begged them to hospitalize him the night before he took his life, and they wouldn't because... You can't hospitalize someone until it's almost too late. They either have had to try to take their lives or try to hurt someone else. And to me, that's too little too late. And part of the reason I wrote the book is I'm really passionate about doing three things. One is keeping the memory of my husband alive in a positive way. Two is to eradicate these, you know, dirty little secrets about suicide and mental illness. And three, to help people who struggle with the loss of a loved one so that they see that there is a light at the end of the tunnel of, of suicide. Yes. And you've been through so much. You know, my first husband was a psychiatrist, and I remember many times when, you know, you could do the 5150 and, and all those things that you try to help somebody, and um, one of his patients did commit suicide. And I just remember what we went through during that time because he wanted to do more and he couldn't. And, and so... You know, you're right. It's it's a broken system. And it's I, a broken system, and I mean, if if you have a 17 year old or God forbid a 21 year old who is bipolar, we'll just say, and you're Mary Smith living in Fremont, Ohio, and you have very poor health coverage for mental illness or any kind of emotional disorders or psychiatric disorders, which is typically the case, then you know, worst case scenario, you know, you take him to your family doctor and say, "Help me, my son." is threatening to kill himself. Well, we're sorry. We can't do anything until he actually tries to kill himself or hurt someone else. Right. And what does a parent do with that? Right. And so then they send, the, they send him home on antipsychotic medication to a family who has no idea what to do or how to, how to watch how this is, you know, the symptoms of what he's on and if it's effective or not. And this poor person who's struggling with his own emotional instability now he's feeling weirder than ever, and so many, you know, I mean, there's so much talk out there right now about gun control, and yes, we certainly don't want to, it would be wonderful if we could get people who have any history of mental illness um, to a place where they're not allowed to purchase a weapon, but that's not going to prevent it, no. because any 17-year-old or 30-year-old man who wants to go out and buy a gun illegally can do it in 10 minutes. So what it's really about is, let's treat the problem, which is, we have, you know, there are four suicides an hour, suicide mm-hmm. is up four times since the recession in 2008. Uh, 90% of people who commit suicide do it because they're being either treated improperly or they're on the wrong medications. And it's mostly, typically, most often men. And it's, it's something that could be prevented if the right treatment plan were in place. And, and we see all these homeless people, and much of uh, that is really mental illness, right? Right, and, and there was a time, you know, 20 years ago, I don't know how old you are, but, you know, I'm 57, and 30 years ago there were something called mental institutions, and, right. and they weren't the answer either, but you could lock somebody away there for 20 years, and at least they weren't harmful to society. Right. Well, they did away with that system because they thought that that was inappropriate, and so now these people are floating around who are suffering from everything from bipolar to schizophrenia, 
to paranoid psychosis with severe clinical depression, and they're they're living on the streets or they're living, you know, with their families who are desperately trying to help them, but they're either on the wrong medication or they're not getting help, and in a moment of frustration or in a moment where they're not quite in reality because they're having some kind of a breakdown because of the medication they're on, they might grab a gun and shoot themselves or, God forbid, you know, yeah. 35 kindergartners. Exactly. And we're sitting there scratching our heads going, why did this happen? Yes. Well, come on. You know, the reason it happened is because there's nowhere to put these people, and they're not getting help, and, and that's part of the passion of what I'm trying to do right now. It's like, I know there are people listening. Everyone's got mental illness in their family. Yes. Um, we've all known someone who's either been had a suicide or been affected by suicide, and until until suicide and mental illness is embraced the way cancer is embraced by us as a community and by the medical the healthcare system nothing's going to change you wouldn't send john smith into a hospital with a brain tumor and then send him home in 3 days and say good luck yes. i hope you can say, i hope you feel better in a couple of weeks right. but that's what we do with people who are bipolar and and schizophrenic and paranoid and then we also have all these military guys coming back guys and gals with post-traumatic stress disorder, that they also are going through the same kind of thing. And and I forgot, but it was a huge, I read in the LA Times about the tremendous amount of suicide of these guys coming back. That's an excellent point. It's the number one cause of death in the military and suicide. And the interesting thing is 95% of those who are committing suicide never even saw a battle. Okay, they didn't see combat. So what what is this? You know, what's the question? What what are these? And here's what I think it is just based on what I've read, is that these people are going in who have never been diagnosed because they came from, you know, poor families. And so they're going in there with bipolar. They're going in there with personality disorders. They're going in there with severe clinical depression. And then because they're in that, that environment, even if they're sitting behind a desk, you know, they're, they're um, in a situation they can't walk away, they're being controlled, they're, they're, it's in a very restrictive environment, and they're, they're, whatever their mental incapacities were, they, they get worse. And then they start throwing these, these medications at them, and they're not titrated properly, and they come home and go, I can't do this, and they take their life. Yes. And, and, and when someone takes their life, there's, it's not one reason. You know, I remember a psychiatrist friend of mine said, well, the only reason someone commits suicide is they're mentally ill. That's not true. It's usually, you know, they had a predisposed situation. They were predisposed to depression or bipolar or schizophrenia or whatever it is. But there there was a set of circumstances, let's call it the perfect storm, that set them up to feel extremely stressed, which triggered their bipolar disorder. And then they end up... There are all these clear symptoms. They become helpless and hopeless. They start talking badly about themselves. They become socially isolated. They don't care about how they look anymore. They start talking about, I don't matter. Nobody cares. You know, nobody gets me. They might even say, I'm going to kill myself. Right. And these are all red flags for the family member or the friend of a person who's going through this. And so then we try as family members, we go to the doctor and they say, well, let's try this medication. Well, let's try that. And before you know it, they're a guinea pig. And they're on all these different medications, and some of them, unfortunately, make suicide tendencies even Worse. more prominent. Yes, yes. It's, a, it's a really, really wicked situation to be in as the person who's suffering and as a family member of the person who's suffering. So, Lucinda, what do you tell those people that they, they really believe that there's something wrong and then, you know, they're putting them on the wrong antidepressants or they're just trying to, you know, get you out the door, take this and go home? 
What do you tell those people? What well, can they do? Excellent. First of all, you have to be very proactive, and you have to be very, very involved, and you have to go. To, I would always say, if you feel like a family member struggling emotionally, psychologically, start at your family doctor. And if you think that they're suicidal, start at your family doctor because it's their responsibility as your family physician to refer them to a psychiatrist who specializes in suicide. Yes. Because if you take your son to a doctor, to a psychiatrist, and you say, I think he's suicidal, they may refuse to even see him because they don't want the liability. Right. So if you start with your family doctor and say, hey, you know, I think I think Thomas is, you know, he's been talking about suicide. He's been hanging out in his room. He won't see anybody. Um, he's got this antidepressant. He takes it sometimes. I'm not even sure if he's taking it. Um, you know, he doesn't want to go to school. He does have a gun collection. I'm afraid he might own a weapon. Um, then, then go to your doctor, start there, then they should refer you to a psychiatrist. And then you've got to be really proactive in making sure that the person in your family that's emotionally traumatized is taking their medication, which is hard because they throw it away, they hide it under pillows, they throw right. it in the toilet. Right. And, you know, really what we need to do is we need to improve the system. There should be a place where you can put someone who's mentally ill for three months to a year where they are not allowed to walk out, where they have to be titrated on medications, and it takes a month to figure out, you know, if a medication is going to work, where they are stabilized on the right medications because it's usually more than one, where they get on intense one-on-one therapy and group therapy. And I'm convinced if that system existed today, you know, my husband would still be alive, that country singer would still be alive, Mm -hmm. those 35 kindergartners and the woman who jumped off the bridge in New York City, they would all be alive. You know, and the list goes on because... As a as a as the wife of a husband who took his life, he was a brilliant man, and he wasn't a street homeless person. And we had insurance, but it wasn't good. And I had the best connections, and he still took his life. And so, I I, I feel like you know what, someone's got to step out of the closet and bring suicide and mental illness out of the closet, so that there's so much guilt, blame, and anger and shame associated with suicide and mental illness. And until we can take that out of the closet and say, yes, my son is, you know, struggling with bipolar, or yes, there's a history of suicide in my family, and I want to talk about it. And I'm concerned because my, 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 my son's showing these tendencies, and his grandfather committed suicide. Or, you know, there's a history of alcoholism in my family, and I see my son at 16 years old abusing alcohol. Until we can really come out and address these issues, you know, we're not going to help these people, and that's why someone's got to talk about it. It might as well be me. Yes. So, I mean, like, it, as you had said, that in a way, all these issues that have come to you have, have really been a gift to you because that's really your purpose. I mean, yes, it's tragic what you've gone through, but you're not the type of person who just lets that tragic victimize you. You have then taken the steps to come out and speak about this, to make a change. And I'm sure that your husband from the other side is really supporting you. <laughs> you know, um, I really do believe that we are all here to help each other. And I really believe that the things that you're most ashamed of and most overwhelmed by and that you want to push under the rug, that if you can bring those out and share them with others who've been through a similar situation, you will help yourself and you will help someone else. You know, I mean, the people and... The people that I want to hear from, I mean, I want to talk to someone who's lost a husband to suicide because they're the ones who are going to know exactly 
what I've been through, not some psychiatrist who just wants to put him on medication who's never lost a loved one to suicide. So, right. you know, I'm someone who's walked the, the path and I've come out on the other side. And, and I think we all want to hear from someone who's been through the t- tragedy that we've been through. So if you yourself have experienced tragedy and trauma, I personal, personally believe we all have a mission. And I think it's yes. part of your mission in the universe and here on this earth to help others. And if you can come to terms with your own pain, and then maybe you'll find yourself sitting in church beside someone. Maybe you'll be in a carpool on the way to school. Maybe you'll be in the shopping line at a grocery store, and you'll find that there's one person who just went through what you went through, and you can share your story. And no, you're not a Ph.D., but you're someone who did it, and that can in turn help them. And that's why we're here. It's really that simple. Yes. We're speaking with Lucinda Bassett, who is the author of this very touching book called Truth Be Told, A Memoir of Success, Suicide, and Survival. So you really have been through a lot in your lifetime. You know, they say, I I know you had quoted uh, Mother Teresa, something about, you know, God never keeps you, gives you more than you can handle. And, you know, God, why did did God trust you so much? much. Yeah. Yeah. Why did God trust you so much, Lucinda? So you You have something to say, right? I I don't know. Honestly, I get, there are times I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie to you (laughs) when I sit here, you know, and I'm, I like this past month, I broke my wrist. I had new puppies. My son has really been struggling with his father's illness and he mm-hmm. has some of his father's symptoms and you know life's not easy and I put this beautiful book out and it's not getting the attention on some of the national shows I wish it would and so I can sit back here and say why you know why do I go through these things you know why did I lose my best friend and my husband if not if not to go and share this with the world and why aren't they embracing this you know and we can all do this and so all you can do is take what you've been through and use it to make your life a better experience for you and your, you and your family and other people. And so that's what I do. You know, I don't know if this book is going to do well. I just know that if one person picks up that book, and I'll give you one quick example. My daughter found her father, and I don't talk about this, and I mentioned it briefly in the book. And yes, it's, I I'm not, I'm not, Yeah, and, and I put that in the book very briefly, and I've had more people who found the person who committed suicide, call me and say that one little piece where you said to your daughter, I think the reason you found Daddy is because he brought you to him because he didn't want to pass over alone. He didn't want to make that transition, and you were there. And I know it's awful, and I'm sorry that it was you, and I wish it could have been me, but he chose you, and you were there when he, when he, when he transitioned to the other side. He didn't die alone. And that gave so many people comfort. Yes. So if, that, if I can just comfort one person with this book, then I, I accomplished what I wanted to do, you know? Yes, yes. So what do you say to people when they're struggling with the loss of a loved one to suicide? I mean, what do you really tell them how they, you know, about the fact that they believe that they'll never get over this tragedy? Well, first of all, you won't ever get over it. Secondly, yeah. it's not your fault. I think the most, there are a couple of things that are really important. First of all, the, belt, the, the guilt, blame, anger, shame, let it go, okay? Stop being ashamed of it. It's okay to talk about it. In fact, it's healthy to talk about it. And, and secondly, 
stop blaming yourself. There's nothing you could have said or done to prevent it. The person did it. It was their journey. You just happened to be on the path with them. It was nothing you did. I don't care how bad you were or what you said or what you did. Nothing's worth taking your life over. That person was struggling, and it was their journey, okay? The other thing I would say is if you're someone who knows someone who has lost someone to suicide, go be there, sit beside them, take them food, take them for a walk, let them talk and worry with you. I think the biggest mistake people make is when someone that we love or know has a family member who takes their life, we think, well, we shouldn't bother them. Let's stay away. Well, maybe I'll, come, I'll go see them in a month. No, go that day, take them food, sit beside them, hold their hand, and let them worry. They won't even remember you being there, or maybe they will. But when, I, when my husband died, 250 people showed up at my house over the weekend, and I needed every single one of them. Yes. And they brought food, and they held my hand. So if, if you're ever in a situation where someone that you know has a loved one who takes their life, drop everything and run over there and sit with them. And, and that's the most important thing you can do. And if you've lost someone you love to suicide, the most important thing you need to do is give yourself time. It takes about three to four years to get through that process of emotional detachment and then grieving and then final acceptance of this life without that person. And you have to give yourself and your family permission to, to have that time to heal. Yes. And there's a whole grieving process that you go through. And then, you know, people can, you know, don't always understand why they're, you know, lashing out at you or what, what is going on. What about that experience, about the stages of grieving and dealing with a person who's going through that? Well, um, if you go to my website, can I give my website? Absolutely okay. give it, your website, yes. It's Lucinda Bassett hyphen, you got to use the hyphen, truthbetold.com. And if you go to my website, I'm doing free webinars on exactly this, but I'm going to give you a brief overview. Okay. If you've lost someone to suicide, you're going to go through five stages, and I'm going to go really briefly. The first stage is emotional detachment, and that's very a normal stage. I detail it more on my website, but... This is where you don't make any changes or decisions, anything in your life for a couple of months. The second stage is where you get anxiety, depression, and you start what-if thinking. What if I lose everything? How am I going to live without them? What are my kids going to be like without their father? That's normal, too. And then you go through a, a, a stage where you... It's called gradual acceptance where you start saying, okay, I'm going to be a single parent. My kids aren't going to have a father. How am I going to handle things financially? That's where you need to really reach out to your friends, to experts who can help you, ministers, doctors. Get the medication you need, sleeping pills, you know, antidepressants. Get some help. And then finally you go to this fourth stage of rebuilding your life. This is where you surround yourself with people who can support you. Even find new friends maybe that support the new you. And the final stage is, you know, a new normal. And that's a very important stage. And that's where you have to, I went out and changed my looks a little bit and lost some weight and started exercising and, you know, started going for some new hobbies. And it's like, wait a minute, I'm going to be single now. I'm going to be a different person. I've got to get my head around this. And, 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 and so those are the five stages I, did, I really will go into detail in my webinar. And, and I guess what I want to say is, you know, I've done it. And as you know, by reading my book, my husband committed suicide. I had to sell my company within 30 days in a bad economy. My brother died, and then my mother died seven months later. And if I can get through all that and come out and not only survive, but thrive, and, and I'm okay, you know, yes. then so can other people. And that's why I wrote this book, Truth Be Told. Yes, that, that's really wonderful. 
Now, you also revealed in your book some other issues that you've gone through. This was uh, when you talk about truth be told, you went into a lot of truths, just kind of it must have been in some way a real catharsis. You want to share with my audience a little bit about what else you you revealed? Well, I think the two big things. One was just I grew up with a very abusive alcoholic father. He was verbally abusive and physically abusive, uh, a very violent temper and very narcissistic and, and just verbally abusive and condescending. And so I spent a great part of my life ending up kind of with men like that that were dysfunctional that I thought I could fix. And then there was a secret that I kept inside for many, many years that I was sexually abused by this, you know, person that I don't name. But um, horrible situation, and it was really extreme. And I never talked about it until a couple of years ago. And I decided to mention it in the book because I think that's what created a lot of my issues with anxiety and panic disorder all through my life. And so, you know, I went through, you know, when you read the book, I think the book, like, a friend of mine who's an avid reader who's read every self-help book and every memoir that ever existed just read it, and she went, oh, my God, I couldn't put it down, and oh, my gosh, it's so inspirational, and I can't believe what you've been through. And, I mean, if you've been through any kind of loss or challenge or change in your life, or if you're someone who thinks, gee, I don't have a college degree, I can't do this, or, you know, I came from an alcoholic background, I can't do this, well, go grab a copy of Truth Be Told, because I think what you walk away with is you can do just about anything you want to do if you believe in yourself, and life is not easy. It's nothing but a bunch of challenges. I mean, some people get through, you know, on a wing and a prayer and a trust fund. That wasn't me, okay? Right, right. <laughs> and I'm sitting here now, you know, I've saved my family, I've saved our finances, I'm single at 57 years old and living a pretty interesting life that I could write books about, and I'm doing okay, you know. And if you would have told me five years ago that this would have been my life, I would have said, no way, I'm going to fall apart. I lost my husband and my best friend. And, you know, the other thing that's interesting, too, is that I would advise women two things I did. My husband was my life. He was my best friend. We hung out together. We were always together. We worked together. That's a mistake because... You know, I should have gotten out more, had a more independent life, gone to dinner by myself, hung out with more girlfriends, because when he died, I thought I died. Mm-hmm. So I, if you're in a wonderful relationship that's that close, great. But you know what? Learn how to be more independent. And then the other thing is don't trust your finances with your partner. You need to know how the bills are paid, where the money's at, where the mortgage is. This is one of the things I didn't do. I trusted him with everything financially, and when he died, I was, we were a mess, and I didn't know it. So those are two really powerful lessons I learned as a as a person in a, in a relationship and as a woman. Yes, and just to know where things are. Oh you know, my that, God, that's the, that's so terrifying when you don't even know where things are. I've, no. I've had women come to me where they're you know widow and they don't know where anything is, or they're divorced and they've never seen anything. So you're absolutely right. You have to take responsibility, even if the other person is doing the majority of the financials. Uh, you know, you should, issues. You, should, you have to be aware. You need to sit down with them right now after this, get off, get off this interview and say, honey, you know what? I heard this show today. And just in case anything would happen, please sit down with me. Show me how the bills are paid. Show me where our money is at. Where are our savings accounts, our checking accounts? Where's the mortgage for the house? Do you have a, you know, how do you pay the bills? You know, how much money do we have? I mean, it's really important that you understand that as a woman. For one thing, because what if he divorces you for somebody else and tries to mess with you? Yes. I'm sorry, but it happens. Yeah. And, and the other thing is if he dies tomorrow of a heart attack, 
as, you know, my husband died suddenly and I turned around, I had no idea what our financial situation was. And it was horrific. So not only was I dealing with the death of him and a suicide, I was dealing with financial devastation and it's, and shame on me because I should have been more involved. And that's my point. You know, get involved, know your situation and know what your financial situation is as a woman. Yeah. Yeah. And and there isn't any shame. I mean, you did the best you could, and you thought you had a team partner, and we always forget that we might not have that partner, and we might not have that. So, you know, the past is the past, and I the think... Shame, gonna... The shame. The yeah. shame. It's, it's a shame. Yes. That yes. my husband took himself away from my children. Yes. Yes. And if, if there's any shame at all, it's not the kind of shame you imagine. I'm not ashamed, and I'm right. not embarrassed, and I, I, there's no blame. Right. There is, but the, there is anger. Yes. And what you know, there's a, the biggest anger that I have is not what he did to me, although it was horrific. And when you read the book, you know, yes. as you know by reading the book, yeah. he took all this money from behind my back, and we could go into that for 20 minutes, which I'm not going to. But right. and if I would have been a more responsible woman involved in our finances, that wouldn't have happened. But the real shame is that my husband, my children's father, took himself away from them and left a legacy that they have to live with, and there is a hole in their hearts the size of a bowling ball. Yeah. And that's what will never be healed. I'm trying, and I, they're in therapy, but he, when someone commits suicide, the legacy they leave for their children is horrific, and that's the real shame of suicide. And, and the real positive part is that your children have you. I hope so. And you are an inspiration. And we are out of time, Lucinda. Uh, This is a wonderful book. And thank you for all the great work that you're doing. And I know that that hole that's in your children's heart is going to be filled by all the inspiration and all the good works that you're doing. And they're going to also do some good works as well. So thank you so much for joining us. Just give your website and we have to go. Okay, it's Lucinda Bassett hyphen truthbetold.com. Well, thank you, Lucinda. And we will talk to you again. And just come, you know, give us a call when you get your new book out. All right. All right. God bless. Thanks okay, for helping. You too. Okay. All right. Talk you, to you later. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank, the host of Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. Please join us every Monday morning at 830 a.m. and visit our website at conflicthealing.com. Thanks. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.